Chapter thirty three of The Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter thirty three. A Specimen of My Folly. The incomprehensible submission of Scotchmen to the ecclesiastical tyranny of their established church has produced, not unnaturally, as I think, a very mistaken impression of the national character of the popular mind. Public opinion looks at the institution of the Sabbath in Scotland, finds it unparalleled in Christendom for its senseless and savage austerity, sees a nation content to be deprived by its priesthood of every social privilege on one day in every week, forbidden to travel, forbidden to telegraph, forbidden to eat a hot dinner, forbidden to read a newspaper, in short, allowed the use of two liberties only, the liberty of exhibiting oneself at the church and the liberty of secluding oneself over the bottle. Public opinion sees this and arrives at the not unreasonable conclusion that the people who submit to such social laws as these are the most stolid, stern, and joyless people on the face of the earth. Such are Scotchmen supposed to be when viewed at a distance. But how do Scotchmen appear when they are seen under a closer light, and judged by the test of personal experience? There are no people more cheerful, more companionable, more hospitable, more liberal in their ideas, to be found on the face of the civilized globe than the very people who submit to the Scotch Sunday. On the six days of the week there is an atmosphere of quiet humour, a radiation of genial common sense about Scotchmen in general, which is simply delightful to feel. But on the seventh day these same men will hear one of their ministers seriously tell them that he views taking a walk on the Sabbath in the light of an act of profanity, and will be the only people in existence who can let a man talk downright nonsense without laughing at him. I am not clever enough to be able to account for this anomaly in the national character. I can only notice it by way of necessary preparation for the appearance in my little narrative of a personage not frequently seen in writing, a cheerful Scotchman. In all other respects I found Mr. Playmore only negatively remarkable. He was neither old nor young, neither handsome nor ugly, he was personally not in the least like the popular idea of a lawyer, and he spoke perfectly good English, touched with only the slightest possible flavour of a Scotch accent. "'I have the honour to be an old friend of Mr. MacAllan,' he said, cordially shaking hands with me, "'and I am honestly happy to become acquainted with Mr. MacAllan's wife. "'Where will you sit? Near the light? "'You are young enough not to be afraid of the daylight just yet. "'Is this your first visit to Edinburgh? "'Pray let me make it as pleasant to you as I can. "'I shall be delighted to present Mrs. Playmore to you. "'We are staying in Edinburgh for a little while. "'The Italian opera is here, and we have a box for to-night. "'Will you kindly waive all ceremony and dine with us "'and go to the music afterward?' "'You are very kind,' I answered. "'But I have some anxieties just now "'which will make me a very poor companion "'for Mrs. Playmore at the opera.' my letter to you mentions i think that i have to ask your advice on matters which are of very serious importance to me does it he rejoined to tell you the truth i've not read the letter through i saw your name in it and i gathered from your message that you wished to see me here i sent my note to your hotel and then went on with something else pray pardon me is this a professional consultation for your own sake i sincerely hope not it is hardly a professional consultation mr playmore i find myself in a very painful position and i come to you to advise me under very unusual circumstances 
i shall surprise you very much when you hear what i have to say and i am afraid i shall occupy more than my fair share of your time i and my time are entirely at your disposal he said tell me what i can do for you and tell it in your own way the kindness of this language was more than matched by the kindness of his manner i spoke to him freely and fully i told him my strange story without the slightest reserve he showed the varying impressions that i produced on his mind without the slightest concealment my separation from eustace distressed him my resolution to dispute the scotch verdict and my unjust suspicions of mrs bowley first amused then surprised him it was not however until i had described my extraordinary interview with miserrimus dexter and my hardly less remarkable conversation with lady clarinda that i produced my greatest effect on the lawyer's mind i saw him change colour for the first time he started and muttered to himself as if he had completely forgotten me good god i heard him say can it be possible does the truth lie that way after all i took the liberty of interrupting him i had no idea of allowing him to keep his thoughts to himself i seem to have surprised you i said he started at the sound of my voice i beg ten thousand pardons he exclaimed you have not only surprised me you have opened an entirely new view to my mind i see a possibility a really startling possibility in connection with the poisoning at gleninch which never occurred to me until the present moment this is a nice state of things he added falling back again into his ordinary humour here's the client leading the lawyer my dear mrs eustace which is it do you want my advice or do i want yours may i hear the new idea i asked not just yet if you will excuse me he answered make allowances for my professional caution i don't want to be professional with you my great anxiety is to avoid it but the lawyer gets the better of the man and refuses to be suppressed i really hesitate to realize what is passing in my own mind without some further inquiry do me a great favor let us go over a part of the ground again and let me ask you some questions as we proceed do you feel any objection to obliging me in this matter certainly not mr playmore how far shall we go back to your visit to dexter with your mother-in-law when you first asked him if he had any ideas of his own on the subject of mrs eustace macallan's death did i understand you to say that he looked at you suspiciously very suspiciously and his face cleared up again when you told him that your question was only suggested by what you had read in the report of the trial yes he drew a slip of paper out of the drawer in his desk dipped his pen in the ink considered a little and placed a chair for me close at his side the lawyer disappears he said and the man resumes his proper place there shall be no professional mysteries between you and me as your husband's old friend mrs eustace i feel no common interest in you i see a serious necessity for warning you before it is too late and i can only do so to any good purpose by running a risk on which few men in my place would venture personally and professionally i am going to trust you though i am a scotchman and a lawyer sit here and look over my shoulder while i make my notes you will see what is passing in my mind if you see what i write i sat down by him and looked over his shoulder without the smallest pretence of hesitation he began to write as follows the poisoning at gleninch queries in what position does Moserimus dexter stand toward the poisoning and what does he presumably know about that matter he has ideas which are secrets he suspects that he has betrayed them or that they have been discovered in some way inconceivable to himself he is palpably relieved when he finds that this is not the case 
the pen stopped and the questions went on let us advance to your second visit said mr playmore when you saw dexter alone tell me again what he did and how he looked when you informed him that you were not satisfied with the scotch verdict i repeated what i have already written in these pages the pen went back to the paper again and added these lines he hears nothing more remarkable than that a person visiting him who is interested in the case refuses to accept the verdict at the macallan trial as a final verdict and proposes to reopen the inquiry what does he do upon that he exhibits all the symptoms of a panic or terror he sees himself in some incomprehensible danger he is frantic at one moment and servile at the next he must and will know what this disturbing person really means and when he is informed on that point he first turns pale and doubts the evidence of his own senses and next with nothing said to justify it gratuitously accuses his visitor of suspecting somebody query here when a small sum of money is missing in a household and the servants in general are called together to be informed of the circumstance what do we think of the one servant in particular who speaks first and who says do you suspect me he laid down the pen again is that right he asked i began to see the end to which the notes were drifting instead of answering his question i entreated him to enter into the explanations that were still wanting to convince my own mind he held up a warning forefinger and stopped me not yet he said once again am i right so far quite right very well now tell me what happened next don't mind repeating yourself give me all the details one after another to the end i mentioned all the details exactly as i remembered them mr playmore returned to his writing for the third and last time thus the notes ended he is indirectly assured that he at least is not the person suspected he sinks back in his chair he draws a long breath he asks to be left a while by himself under the pretence that the subject excites him when the visitor returns dexter has been drinking in the interval the visitor resumes the subject not dexter the visitor is convinced that mrs eustace macallan died by the hand of a poisoner and openly says so dexter sinks back in his chair like a man fainting what is the horror that has got possession of him it is easy to understand if we call it guilty horror it is beyond all understanding if we call it anything else and how does it leave him he flies from one extreme to another he is indescribably delighted when he discovers that the visitor's suspicions are all fixed on an absent person and then and then only he takes refuge in the declaration that he has been of one mind with his visitor in the matter of suspicion from the first these are facts to what plain conclusion do they point he shut up his notes and steadily watching my face waited for me to speak first i understand you mr playmore i began impetuously you believe that mr dexter his warning forefinger stopped me there tell me he interposed what dexter said to you when he was so good as to confirm your opinion of poor mrs bowley he said there isn't a doubt about it mrs bowley poisoned her i can't do better than follow so good an example with one trifling difference i say too there isn't a doubt about it dexter poisoned her are you joking mr playmore i never was more in earnest in my life 
your rash visit to dexter and your extraordinary imprudence in taking him into your confidence have led to astonishing results the light which the whole machinery of the law was unable to throw on the poisoning case at gleninch has been accidentally let in on it by a lady who refuses to listen to reason and who insists on having her own way quite incredible and nevertheless quite true impossible i exclaimed what is impossible he asked coolly that dexter poisoned my husband's first wife and why is that impossible if you please i began to be almost enraged with mr playmore can you ask the question i replied indignantly i have told you that i heard him speak of her in terms of respect and affection of which any woman might be proud he lives in the memory of her i owe his friendly reception of me to some resemblance which he fancies he sees between my figure and hers i have seen tears in his eyes i have heard his voice falter and fail him when he spoke of her he may be the falsest of men in all besides but he is true to her he has not misled me in that one thing there are signs that never deceive a woman when a man is talking to her of what is really near his heart i saw those signs it is as true that i poisoned her as that he did i am ashamed to set my opinion against yours mr playmore but i really cannot help it i declare i am almost angry with you he seemed to be pleased instead of offended by the bold manner in which i expressed myself my dear mrs eustace you have no reason to be angry with me in one respect i entirely share your view with this difference that i go a little further than you do i don't understand you you describe dexter's feeling for the late mrs eustace as a happy mixture of respect and affection i can tell you it was a much warmer feeling toward her than that i have my information from the poor lady herself who honoured me with her confidence and friendship for the best part of her life before she married mr macallan she kept it a secret from him and you had better keep it a secret too miserrimus dexter was in love with her miserrimus dexter asked her deformed as he was seriously asked her to be his wife and in the face of that i cried you say that he poisoned her i do i see no other conclusion possible after what happened during your visit to him you all but frightened him into a fainting fit what was he afraid of i tried hard to find an answer to that i even embarked on an answer without quite knowing where my own words might lead me mr dexter is an old and true friend of my husband i began when he heard me say i was not satisfied with the verdict he might have felt alarmed he might have felt alarmed at the possible consequences to your husband of reopening the inquiry said mr playmore ironically finishing the sentence for me rather far-fetched mrs eustace and not very consistent with your faith in your husband's innocence clear your mind of one mistake he continued seriously which may fatally mislead you if you persist in pursuing your present course miserrimus dexter you may take my word for it keys to be your husband's friend on the day when your husband married his first wife dexter has kept up appearances i grant you both in public and in private his evidence in his friend's favour at the trial was given with a deep feeling which everybody expected from him nevertheless i firmly believe looking under the surface that mr macallan has no bitterer enemy living than miserrimus dexter he turned me cold i felt that here at least he was right my husband had wooed and won the woman who had refused dexter's offer of marriage was dexter the man to forgive that my own experience answered me and said no bear in mind what i have told you mr playmore proceeded 
and now let us get on to your own position in this matter and to the interests that you have at stake try to adopt my point of view for the moment and let us inquire what chance we have of making any further advance toward a discovery of the truth it is one thing to be morally convinced as i am that miserrimus dexter is the man who ought to have been tried for the murder at Gleninch, and it is another thing at this distance of time to lay our hands on the plain evidence which can alone justify anything like a public assertion of his guilt there as i see it is the insuperable difficulty in the case unless i am completely mistaken the question is now narrowed to this plain issue the public assertion of your husband's innocence depends entirely on the public assertion of dexter's guilt how are you to arrive at that result there is not a particle of evidence against him you can only convict dexter on dexter's own confession are you listening to me i was listening most unwillingly if he were right things had indeed come to that terrible pass but i could not with all my respect for his superior knowledge and experience i could not persuade myself that he was right and i owned it with the humility which i really felt he smiled good-humouredly at any rate he said you will admit that dexter has not freely opened his mind to you thus far he is still keeping something from your knowledge which you are interested in discovering yes i admit that very good what applies to your view of the case applies to mine i say he is keeping from you the confession of his guilt you say he is keeping from you information which may fasten the guilt on some other person let's start from that point confession or information how are you to get at what he is now withholding from you what influence can you bring to bear on him when you see him again surely i might persuade him certainly and if persuasion fail what then do you think you can entrap him into speaking out or terrify him into speaking out if you will look at your notes mr playmore you will see that i have already succeeded in terrifying him though i am not only a woman and though i didn't mean to do it very well answered you mark the trick what you have done once you think you can do again well as you are determined to try the experiment it can do you no harm to know a little more of dexter's character and temperament than you know now suppose we apply for information to somebody who can help us i started and looked round the room he made me do it he spoke as if the person who was to help us was close at our elbows don't be alarmed he said the oracle is silent and the oracle is here he unlocked one of the drawers of his desk produced a bundle of letters and picked out one when we were arranging your husband's defence he said we felt some difficulty about including miserrimus dexter among our witnesses we had not the slightest suspicion of him i need hardly tell you but we were all afraid of his eccentricity and some among us even feared that the excitement of appearing at the trial might drive him completely out of his mind in this emergency we applied to a doctor to help us under some pretext which i forget now we introduced him to dexter and in due course of time we received his report here it is he opened the letter and marking a certain passage in it with a pencil handed it to me read the lines which i have marked he said they will be quite sufficient for our purpose i read these words summing up the result of my observation i may give it as my opinion that there is undoubtedly latent insanity in this case but that no active symptoms of madness have presented themselves as yet you may i think produce him at the trial without fear of consequences he may say and do all sorts of odd things but he has his mind under the control of his will and you may trust his self-esteem to exhibit him in the character of substantially intelligent witness as to the future i am of course not able to speak positively i can only state my views 
that he will end in madness if he live i entertain little or no doubt the question of when the madness will show itself depends entirely on the state of his health his nervous system is highly sensitive and there are signs that his way of life has already damaged it if he conquer the bad habits to which i have alluded in an earlier part of my report and if he has many hours of every day quietly in the open air he may last as a sane man for years to come if he persists in his present way of life or in other words if further mischief occur to that sensitive nervous system his lapse into insanity must infallibly take place when the mischief has reached its culminating point without warning to himself or to others the whole mental structure will give way and at a moment's notice while he is acting as quietly or speaking as intelligently as at his best time the man will drop if i may use the expression into madness or idiocy in either case when the catastrophe has happened it is only due to his friends to add that they can as i believe entertain no hope of his cure the balance once lost will be lost for life there it ended mr playmore put the letter back in his drawer you have just read the opinion of one of our highest living authorities he said does dexter strike you as a likely man to give his nervous system a chance of recovery do you see no obstacles and no perils in your way my silence answered him suppose you go back to dexter he proceeded and suppose that the doctor's opinion exaggerates the peril in his case what are you to do the last time you saw him you had the immense advantage of taking him by surprise the sensitive nerves of his gave way and he betrayed the fear that you aroused in him can you take him by surprise again not you he is prepared for you now and he will be on his guard if you encounter nothing worse you will have his cunning to deal with next are you his match at that but for lady clorinda he would have hopelessly misled you on the subject of mrs bowley there was no answering this either i was foolish enough to try to answer it for all that he told me the truth so far as he knew it i rejoined he really saw what he said he saw in the corridor at gleninch he told you the truth returned mr playmore because he was cunning enough to see that the truth would help him in irritating your suspicions you don't really believe that he shared your suspicions why not i said he was as ignorant of what mrs bowley was really doing on that night as i was until i met lady clorinda it remains to be seen whether he will not be as much astonished as i was when i tell him what lady clorinda told me this smart reply produced an effect which i had not anticipated to my surprise mr playmore abruptly dropped all further discussion on his side he appeared to despair of convincing me and he owned it indirectly in his next words will nothing that i can say to you he asked induce you to think as i think in this matter i have not your ability or your experience i answered i am sorry to say i can't think as you think and are you really determined to see miserrimus dexter again i have engaged myself to see him again he waited a little and thought over it you have honoured me by asking for my advice he said i earnestly advise you mrs eustace to break your engagement i go even further than that i entreat you not to see dexter again just what my mother-in-law had said just what benjamin and major fitzdavid had said they were all against me and still i held out i wonder when i look back at it at my own obstinacy i am almost ashamed to relate that i made mr playmore no reply he waited still looking at me i felt irritated by that fixed look i arose and stood before him with my eyes on the floor he arose in his turn he understood that the conference was over well well he said with a kind of sad good-humour 
i suppose it is unreasonable of me to expect that a young woman like you should share any opinion with an old lawyer like me let me only remind you that our conversation must remain strictly confidential for the present and then let us change the subject is there anything that i can do for you are you alone in edinburgh no i am travelling with an old friend of mine who has known me from childhood and do you stay here to-morrow i think so will you do me one favour will you think over what has passed between us and will you come back to me in the morning willingly mr playmore if it is only to thank you again for your kindness on that understanding we parted he sighed the cheerful man sighed as he opened the door for me women are contradictory creatures that sigh affected me more than all his arguments i felt myself blush for my own headstrong resistance to him as i took my leave and turned away into the street End of chapter 33